0: Hey, friends, a few weeks ago, we did a live podcast at the Utah Charter Network Annual Symposium in Lehigh with about 300 teachers. I'm so excited to share with you the audio today. I had three guests, Kirsten Rapley, who you know, Crystal Anderson, a counselor at a local charter school, and a friend of the pod, Michelle Loveday, who you've heard from before. We had some great conversations about my initiative, show up, and teaching and counseling through the pandemic and what teachers are doing to take care of themselves. Let's get proximate. I would like to introduce our first guest here to the program, and it is Kirsten Rapley. So welcome, Kirsten. So we're going to do this just like our like I do a podcast, and Kirsten's been on my podcast a few times. I sure have, and it's
1: always (laughs) fun. We always get a little bit loopy. Like it's usually the end of the day when we're recording, and we've been through a lot of meetings, and I've had a lot of caffeine. She hasn't, but something (laughs) happens to us, and we get crazy. So hopefully, we can keep it in control today. It'll
0: be good. But but Kirsten is um, she's been the well. Why don't you tell us what you've been? Sure.
1: Sure. I have had a wonderful opportunity to work with both the First Lady um, and the current governor, Spencer Cox, um, for the past... Six months now, I have been working for her office, the office of the First Lady, as the director of her initiative, which is called Show Up, which is what we're, where we're going to introduce you to, and you see it on the screens behind you. Um, prior to that, I had the wonderful opportunity of working with her husband. I'm the only person I think on the earth who can say, maybe other than your children, who can say they've officially worked for both Coxes in Utah. So I got to be. Uh, they didn't spend, get paid. So. <laughs> they don't get paid, <laughs> and I work for government, so you know teachers understand that, right? Um, and I was his chief of staff for three years, which was wonderful. And prior to that, I got to work for governor Herbert and for the state Senate. So I'm sort of like a serial capital intern, but this is probably my favorite adventure of them all. Just don't tell the others. I said that.
0: And she, in this role is actually the director of initiatives, which you said. And so let's, let's talk about that. Kim gave a little bit of an introduction to our show up initiative, but let's, let's get into this. Let's talk about each of the focus areas, and what we've been up to for the last six or so months. Um, yeah, let's talk about this journey we've been on. It has been a journey. And I
1: think you did a really great job of explaining sort of why we wanted to do the podcast. And, and when KSL gave us that opportunity, it was something that we just jumped on because you've had such amazing opportunities to connect with people. And really, that's what Show Up is all about. Um, I'll say this because you won't to this audience um, or any audience for that matter. Usually first spouses, partners across the country, there's quite a wide range of sort of what they do with their initiatives. Some of them have really robust initiatives. Some of them don't have any at all. And some of them, in fact, have their own careers and sort of attend events sometimes and that's it. But when um, we were sort of deciding what this was going to look like in the transition, you said to me, and it was really the thing that pulled me in and said, yes, this is what I want to um, hitch my wagon to for the next little while. You said, I want to be out there with the people of Utah. I want to be working this like more than full time. I want to be Utah's best unpaid volunteer um, ever getting out in the community and doing stuff. And so we sort of went on this journey to figure out what we wanted to do. Right. You, you should talk about that.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously. So I am an educator. Uh, I graduated from Utah State in special education with an emphasis in early childhood and severe disabilities. So for me, I knew that my, my heart and my passion was with education. Um, and so I knew that there was, I didn't know what that would look like, but as I, as I started researching, um, I, I found this need and especially, you know, I, we went through a campaign, um, And I know you guys, I I can't say anything because you went through teaching uh, during a pandemic. But going through a campaign during a pandemic, a statewide campaign, um, let's just say I saw a lot of behavior modeled that was less than um, empathetic, that was less than maybe what we want to see our children um, do and observe. And it, it was heartbreaking to me. And what I, what I thought at that moment was, you know, how do we combat what I saw as an empathy crisis? Um, we, we are yelling at one another. We're, we are saying terrible things to one another and our kids are watching this. They're observing this. They're seeing it. And you, I don't have to tell you because you're seeing them see it and you're seeing it come into your classrooms. And um, I, I was heartbroken and I thought, what can we do? What, what can we do in this space? And so really the, the idea of, of connection and empathy and, and what that comes down to is emotional intelligence. And how do we teach and how do we model and how do we gain those skills our, ourselves And so that's when we decided to talk about social and emotional learning and emotional intelligence.
1: That's right. And I think you're going to get into that. You have two more segments on this live podcast. After me, with some amazing guests who are going to talk about that, I would love to talk a little bit about the other three focus areas. We we decided on four, not one like normal. Four that was a narrowed down number, believe it or not. Um, and it's been really an amazing adventure so far, and we have a lot of really great things in the works. So um, maybe we should talk about what we're doing with Special Olympics Unified Sports.
0: This again, this is true. This is just where my heart and my passion is with special education, and so. We, we are partnering with Special Olympics Unified Sports. And hopefully you look around and in your schools that you have a program. And if you don't, that's where we come in. We really want to help to make sure that we have unified sports programs. And if you don't know what that is, that's where uh, kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities play on teams together. And it's just a beautiful moment where you see Empathy created their peers and these athletes coming together and learning from one another and it's absolutely beautiful. So we want to make sure that there is a program in every school um, so that so that every child has an opportunity to feel like they belong.
1: It's not very expensive either. That's one of the interesting things we learned. So if there are administrators in the audience. Um... Just know that, um, so we went in toward Westlake High School that has a really robust program. There aren't very many schools in the state yet that do for this. And we wanted to see what it looked like in action. And we wanted to talk to the athletes and we wanted to talk to the peers who work with them. And I was seriously, uh, like, verklempt the whole time. I just couldn't um, imagine what these kids have learned, I, I couldn't even fathom that they learned so much so quickly about empathy. And we, we had these big, like, burly football player boys kind of breaking down, telling us about it and talking to us about these friends who have different abilities than they do and what they've taught them. And that when they are having a bad day and they see them in the hallway, they're, they get a big hug and they know that later on they're going to be in soccer practice with them or, or whatever it is. And it's truly a miracle program to me. And so we're really, really committed to expanding it throughout the state. And we're serious. Come find us if you want to learn more.
0: And then again, we see um, uh, another way to to really serve the most vulnerable among us is, is through foster care. And so that's a third focus area is we want to make sure that We are connecting um, nonprofits, um, government agencies, and and our office to make sure that we are um, retaining and recruiting foster families, as well as making sure that we can get those um, about 120-plus kids who've had their parents' parental rights terminated, and they need to find homes. And so it's, it's our focus there to make sure that we can help to make that happen. I think one of the
1: things that was so shocking to me when we got into this space working with foster families and children in foster care in the state right now is I didn't realize how much need there was right outside my door there's um, currently, somewhere, there, there are hundreds more families that are needed every single year to take in foster children for whatever period of time and whatever that may look like, particularly children who come in sibling groups, children who have intellectual or physical disabilities themselves and other more complicated cases. And so we're really committed to that. We've been so far doing it through events. It's been really fun. Um, just last week, we had a family night out for foster families in the Ogden area at the dinosaur park. And it was wonderful. We we did a movie with them and we got to just get proximate to them and, and help them make connections to each other. And we think this is really important and it has implications for what you do too, because Uh, we know that you see them in your classrooms. We know that you understand um, more than probably any other sector of the population what their trauma is like and what the implications are of that trauma for the rest of their lives. And so we're really, really committed to working with people like you on making this a better state for those who are experiencing this.
0: And our final focus area is um, service, and uh, we, and Kim talked a little bit about that. We went through and we did service projects throughout the state as part of a campaign, and we wanted to keep that going. We learned so much through that; our our own hearts were changed. We saw the, what it did in our communities to really reach out and connect with people, and so we wanted to make sure that happened. And I hope you see, weaved throughout these all these initiative focus areas, this. Reoccurring theme of empathy. And we just want to make sure that, you, that we are connecting as humans, that we're, we're combating that empathy crisis, and we're teaching our children a better way, and we're modeling a better way than, than what they've seen um, most recently.
1: I think, and I just hope, you know, maybe some final thoughts for me on this, that you see everything we do is so connected to making the community. a a better place for human connectedness, a better place for you as educators. Um, We're really, really committed to helping you in everything you do and so excited to continue to push forward. We keep having people tell us we're going to do this for the next 30 years, right? And we're like, oh, we might might wear down after a little while, but um, we're really committed to this. We have a lot of energy and we're really excited to see what happens moving forward.
0: Yes, and we'd like you to get involved in any way you can. Um, So thank you, Kirsten. Um, We will be right back. Welcome back to the show. We have our next guest. Her name is Crystal Anderson. Um, She is incredible. She's been in education for a really long time, and I'm going to look at my notes. We just met this morning, but Crystal is a counselor at Carl G. Mazur Prep Academy in Orem. She's a high school vice president elect of Utah School Counselors Association, and she owns her own travel business, travel agency.
2: Correct. Yes.
0: (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, again, we just met. So, let's talk a little bit about your background. Where did you
2: grow up? What, what, how did you start this education journey? So, I grew up kind of all over the place. My dad was an entrepreneur, which meant we kind of just lived everywhere. Um, I initially got my bachelor's degree in recreation management youth leadership with administrative emphasis. I know that's a really long title, but... Um, I just really love the outdoors, I love working with kids, and I just kind of envisioned having my own like family camp someday or something like that. And then I met my husband and he joined the Air Force, so again we started moving all over the place. And I had two children and both of my children struggle with some mental health issues and they're on the spectrum. And from that need, I always believe that, like, our greatness comes from need. (laughs) And I had these two kids that were just really struggling, and I needed to find a way to kind of navigate life with them. And I was always volunteering in the elementary schools and things like that to kind of, you know, navigate with them. And... Then they started to get older, and we're going into junior high, and there's really nowhere to volunteer in a junior high, right? Because I would be out on the playgrounds with them and stuff like that in elementary school. So somebody said to me, oh, you should go into school counseling. You're so good with kids. And something inside me just lit up like a Christmas tree. So like, I really believe that when we find like our, our mission and our path, we know. We can feel it deep inside of us. And I was like, okay. So I went back and got my master's in school counseling and I graduated when I was 40 years old, which is like pretty stinking impressive, right? I was like, it's very impressive with two kids. (laughs) Right. So I was just really excited about it. And then I started working in this field and I just fell in love with it. I'm just so enamored by the stories. You had mentioned stories earlier and I am a lover of stories. I love to hear people's stories. I love to share stories. And I'm so empathic. Like I feel people's stories that I just kind of meld with people when I meet them. And I get all excited and I want to like hear more. And, you know, and, and being a counselor, you give people tools and help them figure out their, the rest of their story basically. That's that's beautiful. Um,
0: and I think when we do find our spark, we got to go for it, right? And you did, which is amazing. (laughs) So let's talk about this. Um, you, you connect with people, you, you started to, in your school counseling career, what, what did you see as far as the main, um, issues that you're having? I mean, we have teachers here. Um, what are you, what, what, what's the main concern that you saw?
2: With the students? With the students first, and then we'll talk a little bit about teachers. Okay. So the main thing that I see with students pretty much is stress um, and lack of resilience. Those are the two main things that I would see. I don't know if this is something new and if the social media, I have my own theories that social media probably plays a part in that, but hard things seem harder to these kids And they're not able to bounce back very quickly. And words hurt them so much more. And their friends, and let's, I love the word influencers, because it's going on big time, like with Instagram and stuff. The kids are so influenced by the things that the other people are saying to their detriment, unfortunately. And so, again, stress and lack of resilience, I would say. So let's go back to this. You said social
0: media. I want to, I want to touch on that again. So what is it that you're seeing in social media and media that is, do you feel is the most harmful?
2: Okay. Let me give you a good example. Earlier this year, I was hiking in a cactus forest and I would tell you the name, but I can't pronounce it. So I'm hiking out in this cactus forest out in Arizona and I'm hot and I'm sweating And I'm dying, and I turn this corner, and all of a sudden, I see this girl in this white flowing dress with a flower crown on, and someone's taking pictures of her in the middle of the forest, cactus forest. And I'm like, Am I having, am I seeing a mirage? Is this really happening? And I walk up to her, and she's all, Oh, I'm an influencer, and I'm just out here taking pictures. And I was like, what the crap, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm dying, I'm sweaty, and you're just like, where'd you come from? <laughs> but then I started to see it all summer long, everywhere I went, there were these people in flowing dresses taking pictures, and the focus is so there. And we're missing what's real, what's authentic, what's important, what's, what's real, <laughs> wow that 's really
0: powerful, and that 's a great example of who i guess a question of who's influencing our children um, so what what else are you seeing let 's talk a little bit about we don't we don 't always focus on the mental health of our educators and that 's what we 're about uh, the, especially coming out of the pandemic we are we 've heard from so many educators that we 're struggling like uh, we talk about our kids and the resilience, and it's it's important and it's critical. But how can we have uh, we we need healthy educators to to be able to teach children how to be healthy? That's a that's a, a beat up quote from our, <laughs> I messed that up totally, but from one of our Teacher of the Year candidates, National Teacher of the Year candidates. Um, what are you seeing with teachers?
2: I think that our teachers are tired. (laughs) I think they're worn down, especially this past year. It just hurt everybody. Um, I would love to see teachers take better care of themselves. If I could give them any advice, I would say try so hard to separate yourself from work because I I see teachers that struggle with that. They take their work home, and they grit – First of all, I need to say this. Teachers are like Mother Teresa's. I'm sorry, but you are. You are saints. And you give and give and give and give to your detriment. You love these kids so much. And every day you get up on a stage and you perform. And you perform brilliantly. And I could never be a teacher. (laughs) I just watch you and I get exhausted. And I think that you've got to start recognizing your value and like that other, that guy that presented earlier, he was saying that positive self-talk, but you also need to be telling yourself, I deserve to separate myself from these kids and this job and take good care of myself, whatever that looks like, like... I have a secret chocolate stash of this like really expensive fine chocolate and sometimes I just stick a piece in my mouth and I savor it and it calms me down. You know, or, ooh, ooh, this is my favorite one. This is what I recommend. And I know somehow you gotta like figure this out, but like if I imagine there's like this force field over the school, it's like a bubble like in Star Wars or something. And when I walk out, I imagine it going through me And as I step away, the school's gone now. And now I am Crystal, the mom, the wife, the person, something completely different that has nothing to do with the kids and the school. And then I go and I read and I watch Asian love dramas and I, you know, exercise and I eat my awesome chocolate or whatever. I I feel like you've got to find these little things like this for you to like pull away so that you can be healthy and fill your cup with joy so that when you go back and get on that stage and you're being the mother Teresa, that you can, that you can sustain it. You know, that, that's what I think. That's amazing and amazing advice. Um, I
0: think, I think it's really true. Uh, I I find that myself. Um, I remember as a, as a teacher, a student teaching and I would I I came I was student teaching in a special education preschool where I had four kids with with uh, that were not mobile that were in wheelchairs and I, physically I was exhausted <laughs> from moving and and lifting these kids but I remember it's the most exhausted I had ever been in my entire life. And so my hat's, are off, my hats off and my, my heart is out to, to each of you who do this every single day, day in, day out. Um, just as we, as we close here, let's talk about some, some maybe some SEL skills, some, some emotional intelligence skills that, that kids, that we can model for our students.
2: So... Social-emotional learning is so key to each individual child and their ability to navigate their the life with their peers, the community, it builds, it's the building block for everything. And the main key that, it's, it's really interesting because our school, we've been talking a lot about this and our intervention specialists, we kind of decided that we wanted to really focus on that this year. And I'm, I would love to see when... A student is doing something that's just we all know who those students are I mean I can think of in my head that they're just off there's something not quite together with them and they're not picking up on the social cues and they're they become that kid that everybody avoids instead of like pushing them off and just saying no that's that annoying child getting irritated with them take that moment When you have it, to pull them aside and explain, here's what didn't work. Can you see that? What can we do a little bit differently? And then also with their peers, pull them aside and say, hey, did you see that? How could we interact better? Because I think if one child at a time, we start giving them tools and skills to recognize because it's not coming naturally to them. It's not. So they have to learn. They have to learn the skills to, social, to socially navigate, to emotionally regulate, and we can be a part of that village, that community that teaches them. So just one little instance at a time, we need to start addressing those issues and try to make a difference.
0: Thank you so much, Crystal. I so appreciate your insight to this issue and, and being here to, to give advice to our amazing teachers. So thank you for being
1: here thank today. Thank
2: you for having me.
0: Um, our next guest is a new friend to me in the last several months, and just been an incre- incredible influence in my life. And I've learned so much from her. This is the one and only uh, Michelle Loveday. So welcome. Glad oh, to there's. be here.
3: Awesome. <laughs> so glad to be here. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having so me So let's back. just
0: give you, uh, give our um, our audience here a little preview. Your background. Um, again, we you were on the show before, but let's let's for, for this audience talk about where you grew up, um, you know, kind of your educational influences as well.
3: Yeah. So I am from the uh, greater Cleveland area, a town called Lorain, Ohio. It's an international city um, and it's wonderful. So I grew up all things culture and um, grew up around many different people with many different backgrounds and experiences and diversity. So it was great to grow up there. And I was 20 minutes away from Sandusky, Ohio, which is America's roller coast. So... Those of you that know uh, roller coasters, Cedar Point is the place to be. And so I kind of uh, have issues. Like my kids haven't been to Lagoon yet this summer. Because I'm like, you know, until you can ride at Cedar Point, we're not wasting our money. So little bias in that. I'll probably go when it cools down. Um, And my education background, I actually started off as a first grade teacher. And so I was listening to the keynote, Mr. Chad. And he was talking about never, uh, you know deny where you're going to go in life. And I never would have thought that I'd be sitting here on stage talking to you all with a first lady of our state. And so I started off as a first grade teacher. I was born, raised, and educated in Ohio. So I received my first master's in reading um, because I knew as a first grade teacher, I can't teach students how to read if I don't have all the tools. And we all know our teaching programs are great, but they teach you like one methods course of how to teach kids how to read. And then you're like, and go educate. So I'm taking that master's year. And then I taught first grade. And then I moved here three years later um, with my husband Um, at the time. He was my boyfriend and uh, he's from star Valley, Wyoming. And so we moved out here and I taught second grade. And then, um, well, I taught fourth grade in North Carolina as well. So first and fourth grade. And that was great. The best field trips, fourth grade, because fourth grade, we take our state field trips, right? So I went to the dunes and I got to argue that the Wright brothers were from Ohio and they just used the dunes to fly in North Carolina. So I was able to tie that in, um, and just take some great field trips with my fourth graders. And then I moved here and became a second grade teacher and was a literacy coach. So it was great to finally use the masters for an entire school. Um, and then um, seeing a need for students of color and just having that representation um, for students, I realized that there weren't a lot of black administrators at all. Um, and so I went back to the University of Utah and got my master's in administration, leadership, and policy. And so for the last 12 13 years. I've lost track. I've been in education for 20 years now. Um, and so for the last 12 years, I've been an administrator. I was a principal for seven. And now I'm at the district office. It's not a bad thing. It's really not. The transition is hard, but it's, it's been great to be able to be a part of all facets of education. So don't discount yourself as you're thinking, oh, I'm just a classroom teacher, or oh, I'm just a counselor. Um, the sky's the limit when you really want to make an impact for students and their families.
0: Well, and I think being in the classroom is the biggest impact you can have, which we applaud you so much. Um, but so from from sort of this administrative um, point of view, what what kinds of things in this COVID er- era did you see teachers grappling with as well as parents? I know you've had a lot of interactions with parents, and I'm just wondering what you saw.
3: It was interesting because what each person was going through was similar in a way because we had never gone through COVID. We had never gone through anything like this. Um, And I remember, you know, on the date that the schools were closed, it was kind of like this focus of what is, what did he just say? Schools are closed for, okay, just two weeks. Like, that's great. I wanted to take a vacation. Oh, wait, we're supposed to have three days to get everything ready for virtual learning. And you know, some teachers were great and had had already, uh, you know, a Facebook, you know, for their school or their classroom, and others were not. And so it was really, for teachers and parents, it was this, what are we doing and why and how? And it was a pause. But what I was so amazed at is how teachers just stepped in, and it was like clockwork. Like, we had been practicing this emergency drill our whole lives that we did not know And on Wednesday, came back and had things ready for students printed and um, getting ready to set up virtual learning and some type of workshops. And I was discovering things that I didn't even know were around. Um, And so it was just amazing to see teachers step up so quickly for the students because they knew the importance of it. So um, that support, I think, to parents is what helped calm everybody down initially, you know. Um, And then we had an earthquake. And so then that happens. So we're...
0: <laughs> I said to Spencer the other day, I said, I feel like we're going from one disaster to the other, but we're not out of the first one before the second one strikes. And I'm, I'm like, I feel like maybe that's a, a new thing. I feel like before we, we got out of one disaster, we had a little break and then maybe we, we kind of got struck by the second one, but but it just seems to continue. So let's talk about parents. I know you've had a lot of interaction with parents, and I know as teachers you have a lot of interactions with parents. I do remember walking into a classroom for a parent-teacher conference one time with my son, and um, my my kids are notoriously disorganized and a little scattered. And I walked in, and um, I remember watching uh, her, you know, she kind of, the wall goes up, like, you, you all see it. Like, okay, what's this parent going to say to me? Um, and I said, what can I do as a parent um, to help you here? How can we get on the same page? How can I, you know, reinforce at home what you're trying to reinforce here? I'm happy to, you know, to really connect with what you're doing so that, it, so that it's uniform and, and we can work together. And I just watched this wall like almost melt down. It was almost like a physical reaction. She just went, oh. Because I think sometimes as teachers, as educators, we're, we're kind of braced for battle. What do, what do you see in that?
3: Absolutely. I think, and I, I cannot speak for all teachers, but I know as a teacher myself, you know, I, I went to school to do this. And so my ask is it's like, I've researched and done this, so please trust me. And so a lot of times educators are kind of like, what are they going to say? And getting ready for the critique because we are met with that so much. Uh, and as an educator for me, as a teacher, as a principal, I love parent involvement. It was my thesis, like parent involvement in reading aloud and parent involvement in, um, you know, engaging and reaching out and having those relationships for the school community. So it was, it's definitely my focus because I'm a parent of five children myself. So I, I want to be in the classroom. And even as an educator, when I step in as a mom... I don't say anything. Like the first two, three years, I didn't even tell the school I was an educator. I didn't want them to know because then, right? Because then. And so <laughs> it's like, oh, can you, can you? No, I cannot. Um, and setting boundaries for my social emotional learning. But, and I also didn't want that to influence how my student was seen. And so as teachers, we want parent, that parent involvement. Um, and we also want the trust to know that we are going to do the best For students. And so when we're in the classroom, we just need that trust for everything to move smoothly, but we want them to come in. So even last year, we heard teachers saying, I really miss parents being in the classroom and volunteering. And there's some awesome parents that help everything flow in such a great way that that parent school connection is essential to the success of students because that's what we're here for. I know for me, I prefer children over adults still to this day. As an administrator, I'm like not in my office because I've volunteered to read in the classroom or I'm giving a teacher a break. And so our primary focus is children. And so at, th- at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, um, is highly motivated and somewhat organized students, um, don't feel bad. There's a lot of disorganization going on, and that's why we're here is to help and to guide um, and so I think that just knowing that we're there for the same goal, uh, I think will help a bit break down those walls of communication um, and how we want to achieve that.
0: You, you also have a, um, a consulting company. And so I want to talk a little bit and you, you focus a lot on leadership. So let's talk a little bit about what leadership looks like in the classroom.
3: Chad said it best, walk around like you know what you're doing. I mean, when he said that, I just started laughing out loud because sometimes I, when I first walked into my first principal assignment, I started in January. I had no idea what I was doing. But having that leadership of just, okay, I'm here, and they're looking at me, and so I'm going to walk around like I know what I'm doing. Even inside, I'm internally screaming. And so in the classroom, I think as teachers, we employ that with our students. Every student is a leader, right? You've got that leader that takes care of the kids on the recess playground. Like, they're always the one where the kid's limping in on their shoulders to help. And so we have to find what their skills are and and work to build those up in each individual student. Um, And it was said that you know a lot of them are coming, watching social media, seeing a lot of the harsher comments, and so their self-doubt is a little bit diminished. And so having leadership in the classroom it looks like employing the energy of, yeah, you can do this, and you can believe in yourself, and this is something that you can do, and you just have to try. And failure is part of being you know, a great person. And I, I think as a leader of a school, employing that in each one of my teachers so that they can employ it in each one of the students is is really big.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's been a lot of research, and I'm sure you all have, have seen this around the one caring adult. And if you can be at some point in each one of your children, and and you know, maybe it's not going to be every child in every classroom, at least we would
3: you know we let's be honest. I mean yeah, there's no, just some we, we don't want vibe to be with. it's okay.
0: <laughs> we connect with kids differently, but but maybe we can be that one caring adult in that child's life, which is really big. Um but let's let's talk about these um social and emotional learning skills that translate so we so obviously we want to and again we're gonna we're going to do an educator conference as well and an SEL conference as well. And we want to talk about teachers' um, emotional intelligence skills. So which one of those or how do those translate to students, do you think?
3: Social emotional learning is something that happens as we're learning and everything we're learning. The national equity project said it best that it shows up in everything that we learn is social emotional learning. And I've always told my teachers that you cannot, uh, do and show anything. If you don't have it yourself, if you're broken, The kids can smell it, right? They can smell weakness and it's, you know, it's true. They like can attack. Oh, she's got a little bit, you know, I have my own daughters. I'm like, listen, if you give her an inch, she'll take 18 miles, like rain her in quick, and, and so if you don't have it within yourself as a teacher, it's not going to be a successful day, a successful year. And so it is okay to take a day off. And I think with COVID-19, it was recognized because I was sitting there listening and they said, oh, you have your 10 COVID days. And I was like, what's that? And they said, well, if you just need to take a day for mental health or for whatever reason, you can just take the day off. And I was like, what? And this is like, I will still get paid? this what does this mean i think we're starting to see it more where it's okay to take a day off and you don't have the sniffles you didn't throw up you don't have a, a hurt back you just woke up and you're not feeling your best and that's what the that's the best gift you can give those students because we all get cranky but if you're constantly cranky on kids like how are you helping them take a day it's okay Go to Moab, not to Zion's, because I've heard the line is ridiculous, but take a day and just be outside, not in a dress for influencing, but just to actually hike. Um, And and that will transfer to kids. With COVID-19, if you didn't have any issues prior, we're now all on the same page, right? Right we all have gone through something that's affected our mental in some way, shape or form, or we've seen it affect others, people, you know, other people in our lives and their mental health. And we know, uh, what happens with that. And now imagine carrying that, you know, in your eight year old body or your 10 year old body and not knowing how to properly react and, and what that will look like with your students. And so giving yourself grace, giving your students in the classroom grace, I think is going to be key. Um, A lot of teachers had already, prior to COVID, done yoga in the classroom or stretch breaks or had some mint before a test. But now it's like an essential check-in before you start your day with everyone. How was your weekend? And just go around the circle. Um, I saw an amazing teacher last year. She had check-ins every morning It lasted no more than 10 minutes, but it was, it was, you could tell they had established a routine. You know, what was your weekend? What was one thing that went well? And then they would go around and say it. And then at the end she said, is there someone that has an, an and that they need to figure out how to solve a problem with? And I'll choose three. And then three kids rose their hand. And it was a serious concern. One young man, he had, um, they had been, I don't know if it was like spitballs or whatever they were doing, you know, acting like children and they were spitting them on this window of another classmates. And they noticed that a, a neighbor was watching them, and this older lady was watching them and she wagged their, her finger at them. And he was really nervous about how she was going to react and how she was going to tell his mother. And he didn't know what to do. And they had solutions of, well, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. You need to go apologize to the old lady. You need to go apologize. I mean, they had solutions for him. And I thought, what a good team-building way to start your day so then they can go into learning. It. And she you know, had the conversations, and they went into learning. But they could carry it on at lunch. They could carry it on at recess and have this community in the classroom that they knew was going to be there for one another. And I think we need to work on that a lot.
0: That's incredible. I love that idea of community really being created within the building, within the classroom. Um, let's talk, um, Crystal kind of touched on the idea of resilience. Let's, let's talk about why, you know, first of all, let's talk about teacher resilience. Um, how, how, do we, how do we get there? How do we become more resilient? And then how do we teach that to children? How, what, what does resilience teaching look like? Oh,
3: it's... One that you look at and you see, it's the relationships. You cannot do this alone. It's something that it can't be figured out alone. You've got to have that person. And I have a really good uh, friend who's a mentor in a way. And so I'm going to her and I have, um wah, 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 complain, complain. She let me do that for a while. And then on the second time around, I came to her again and she goes, so what are you going to do about it? And so it's like, oh, she pushed me off the complain cliff. And so now I have to either jump and fly or jump or splat. And so what am I going to do? And I, I think having a person that you can go to to encourage you uh, so that you're not alone will establish that resilience. Same thing with kids because we have learned that we're going to fail. And we, it's going to be okay. Um, and with that social media influence, it does make it look like everything's just done perfectly the right time. And we don't know what filters it took to get that shot. We don't know what it took so and what camera. Through, and, the walk <laughs> through the desert. walk through the desert and the dress. Like, we don't know the true story behind it. And so having a community, having a team, is going to establish that resilience. And, and when students know that there's a teacher cheering for them, that will help them get through it. We you know, we all have, you know, someone out there cheering for us. And you said that one that one teacher that's out there. And Rita Pearson, the great late Rita Pearson always said it, right? There's a teacher that's cheering for a student. And so resilience teaching is, at a girl, you totally bombed that multiplication factor, but I'm glad you tried. So let's have you work with Patricia and you know, figure out how we can do it and let's do it again. And just encouraging them that failure is part of the process.
0: That's amazing. Um, one, one final question before we end, let's talk about, I, we, we discussed our initiative, the first lady show up initiative. Um, it's all about creating empathy. How do we, in your, in your opinion and your experience, how do we create empathy or,
3: or foster empathy in our classrooms. No one wants to wake up and be a horrible person. And going in with that mindset and giving everyone the benefit of the doubt at first and finding out the why. Why did they snap at me and not taking it personal? Why are they staring at me like there's death lasers in the back of the classroom, what is happening, you know? They may not even be thinking about anything you're saying. And establishing empathy in your classroom is that check-in that we want to have with each other. Um, you know, there's always that one student that's kind of on the outside, right? There, there's the group of the in, cool kids, and then you notice that one student. And, you know, seeking and looking and talking to that student and showing the other students that you care really transfers because then the cool kid who, w- who wants to impress the teacher is going to do that as well. Oh, well, teacher's doing it, so I need to do it as well. Or bringing in someone that can transfer. Um, it- And one example of this is I was visiting a classroom to do a culture lesson um, talking about Kwanzaa and what Kwanzaa is. But I knew also that the main reason that I was called into the classroom was because uh, this young girl, she just arrived from Venezuela and she had an accent and kids were making fun of her. And so I knew that. And so, you know, how do you try to create empathy in that whole situation as to the undercover reason you're going into the classroom? And so, Um, I was looking at name tags as I'm teaching and, you know, going around and I found her name tag and you have to kind of think quick and I'm like, I hope this is her because I'm going to go off of an assumption and oh, those can be bad, but this must be her because out of a classroom of eh, everybody that looks the same, she kind of doesn't. Um, And so I spoke to her, and she started talking. And then I go, "Oh, ¿dónde eres?" And she goes, "Oh, yo soy de Venezuela." And so I just started talking to her in Spanish, and all the kids were like, "That is so cool!" And so she and I talked, and then that was it, right? So just in that moment, I didn't tell the students, "You need to be nice to her." It was. I speak a second language, and it's so important to have that for communication, and how cool is it that she's learning English now, too, and, and the next day, I checked in with the teacher, and she said it totally shifted. Students were asking, how do you say shoes? How do you say hair? And it just totally changed in that, that small step, and so you just have to think of what can I do to try to change students' perspectives in what they're already thinking of
0: is absolutely beautiful and i think that does create empathy and and it's going to be such a powerful force in their lives and in in our communities and in our world we i just think that empathy has the power to really transform our our it's nation we need. our our communities and one by one as we connect through our differences it's it's just going to be beautiful so um Thank you, Michelle. You are a dear friend and um, just so so blessed to have you in my life thank and you. and just just feel so so um, privileged to, to know you and feeling is mutual. So Dealing. thank you again for being here with us today. I'll just end by saying, um, this, this is our show. Usually, um, I do some intros and outros. Um, our, our taglines for First Lady and Friends is, um, let's get proximate. Um, that's how we start. So we've gotten proximate today with, with Michelle, with Kirsten, with Crystal, and we've learned so much. And I hope you have. I hope you've, you've seen something from somebody else's point of view today and that, it, that it's touched you and it's given you some, some guidance and, um, and hopefully just filled up your bucket today. Um, at the end of our show, we always say thanks for being a friend. Uh, so today, thank you so much for being a friend.
1: And thank you to the First Lady. Before she walks off, I just want to recognize that her Show Up Utah team is a big reason why these swag bags are so full, and I just want to tell you what's in there. There's a Ruby Snap cookie, a Swig coupon, Utah State chocolate bar, doTERRA oils, Taylor Andrews haircut, Utah's own, did a few different little things, Larry Miller popcorn, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, goat haircut, and you get a fat boy
0: at the end of the day. (laughs) How awesome is that? (laughs) I know it'll never be enough to thank our teachers for what they do, but just know this, that we see you, we honor you, we honor your sacrifice, and this country and this state will not survive without you and your skills and all the things that you do and the empathy that you're creating for our students. So thank you, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We had a lot of fun doing it. If you have any guests that you want to hear from, we would love your feedback. You can find us at Show Up Utah on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for being a friend.